everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Sierra and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. Hi, everybody. Got Wayne Dorban here from Nashville, Tennessee today, and Areeb from Pakistan, and Mark from Bangladesh, and our special guest, Charlotte from Snohomish, Washington. And we have all of you. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. We really appreciate it. So this is going to be fun. I'm going to just do a little bit of a interview with Charlotte, and she's got some slides. If you guys have questions, please throw them into the question box whenever they come up. Charlotte, do you like to answer questions at the end when you're done talking, or would you mind if they come up during the middle when it's something that's appropriate that you're talking about? I'm fine with questions during. Okay. Well, I'll, we'll be watching them, and if something comes up while you're talking that, that makes sense to be asked at that point, we'll go ahead and get it asked for the, for the people asking them. So, Charlotte, we've never met. This is it's rare. Actually, usually I, I know the people that I'm talking that we're going to interview, but Ariba's been doing all the help and setup with Charlotte. And so um, this is so great. I, I've read a lot of things that you've done. I've heard great things about you. But tell us about, you know, people that don't know, tell us where Snohomish is and how long you've been there and sort of what, what brought you there and just a little bit about your, your probably recent lifetime. Uh, okay, Wayne. I actually was in Kimberly, Oregon, doing a project that's very dear to my heart, which is uh, dry land farming without irrigation um, in a desert. The rainfall there was 8 to 15 inches a year, and I was hoping to get results there. Um, last year, I sprayed uh, 13 times. And I saw some changes. Um, and this spring, what happened was the first hot day, the first day I think it got to 97, I just realized I'm 72 years old, and I realized I didn't have what it took to live there without some sort of a house that could keep me cool in the heat of the day. And I also wasn't having any help. I really thought I would get help from all sorts of permaculture people. And I wasn't. So I'm out there all alone and uncomfortable. <laughs> and I just went, I'm sorry, God. <laughs> um, you're going to have to, you know, get this job done with somebody else's help. <laughs> and, um, and I came to, up here to one of my students who has a... Uh, some land. Um, well, he's uh, leasing some land, and I'm here to help him do a market garden up here. Awesome. And it turns well, out. I... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. One more thing. I'll, I'll... The site um, where he is leasing land, there's horses here. They have a um, an equestrian academy, which is I call it like Tai Chi for horses and the riders. It's a wonderful place with wonderful people. And they have a typical problem with 
around this area. I think it's typical in the west side of Oregon as well as um, Washington. But the land is so saturated here in the winter um, that they cannot put their animals out. It's just too wet. It ruins the land. So this work that I do with these microbes can also help that because it gets the um, topsoil to go down further so the water has a lot more space to, uh, to fill up and doesn't saturate the surface. So anyway. I know you're going to talk, talk about <laughs> I know you're going to talk about those microbes a little bit later, so let's let's hold everybody in suspense for just a little bit there. Um, let's go back to Kimberly. I, I I know east of the Cascades a little bit, the Bend area, Klamath Falls, and up towards the border. Where where is Kimberly in in the in in the state? Um, let's see. It's about an hour and a half from John Day. It's okay. about two and a half, huh? Two and a half okay, hours from 84 across the north of the state, and about an hour from Idaho. Okay, so you're really, but not quite yet to the mountains on the east side. So not not as far as uh, Baker or the. So that's why it's really in the rain shadow. That's why it gets a little a little moisture there. Okay. Very desert. We do pass sure. over lots of mountains, but we are. Well, it was at 1,900 feet where I was. Okay. Okay. Um, so you're now in the Snohomish area, and you're you described where you're at. So, but tell us now. Let's go back a little bit further, um, again, because I I sort of put this in front of all of the folks as we wrote up a little description. I think between 2008 and 2012, you did what I think is a pretty amazing feat in the Eugene, Oregon area, which is to do a lot of gardens that you helped get going. I mean, a big number, like over 600. That is amazing to me. Tell, tell us just a little bit about that time frame and what that involved. Uh, I don't know where I got these facilities, um, but pretty much, and I think, uh, Whatever I decide to do, the universe seems to help me do it. <laughs> so um, I put out an ad saying I needed a place. I had a tent, and I wanted to have a place to stay during September. And I was offering to help somebody with their garden. And I got, I think, about 10 people saying, oh, I've been trying to put in a garden for years. And I'd love your help doing it. Um, so I agreed to do all those gardens. <laughs> and one person gave me a place to stay, and all the rest of the people got gardens as well. <laughs> so I just discovered, and I think that's still a major problem, is people have these desires to do things. And certainly land-based things, they don't know how to get from here to there. So it was very helpful to them to have somebody come and help start the garden with them. Um, so I uh, set up a pay-it-forward system so people would come and help start this garden, and then we'd go to their house and help start their garden. And very cool. I grew all the plants. 
I bought the amendments. Um, I charged them in the beginning $50, and by the end, I think it was um, $100 um, to, to basically pretty much as large as they wanted. Most people didn't want anything more than 10 by 20. Um, so. Very cool. And well, that was well, everybody was volunteers. This next project right. I'm starting is going to be paid for. Um, everybody's okay. going to get paid. Okay. Well, let's let's transition. Um, I'm going to probably have more questions for you, and I'm sure our audience might also. But why don't we go into your presentation? Why don't you go ahead and uh, Mark's going to move the slides. So Charlotte's going to uh, going to ask him when to move to the to the next slide. So why don't you go ahead and, and, and go with that, and then when you're done with that, I have some more questions. And if the audience has any while she's giving the presentation, go ahead and put them in the Q&A box, and we'll uh, we'll see if we can get them asked why while she's going. So go for it, Shara. Go ahead with your presentation there. Okay. So Mark, can you go to the first picture? I think it's the third slide. Is it moving? Oh, there. Okay. So this is a project. Okay. So this is May. The strongest experience of my life was that I was in India for two years. I just got back about a year ago. Um, and this was a project that I did there in a place called KK Pati, which is in Tamil Nadu in India. And what we did here was miraculous. Um, there's troughs. Well, I asked the um, the farmer to put troughs in between all of those um, coconut trees. And um, the person who has the most yield of coconuts in all of India has these troughs. So he was happy to do it. Once the troughs were there, we had all this heaped up um, Basically, it was large grain sand, and we raked it over and planted in it. Um, and what's amazing about this, and this was done right before the monsoon. That's how everything in dry land agriculture is done in India. But in this case, there was no monsoon. So they call that a failed monsoon. And um, what we did was we planted um, in those large grains of sand that we raked over that was primarily subsoil. And then we used something called jivam reet, which is, and there's lots of ways that they pronounce this. There's 18 different languages, and then there's tribal languages. But anyway, this is made from cow dung and cow urine and a, um, a legume flour, F-L-O-U-R, and molasses. Um, and so we put that on about every 10 days. And I did have a little bit of compost, so I had about 50 feet um, where I used compost. And this is mainly, I think you can mainly see corn here if you look close. Um, the farmer wanted corn for his cows. Um, and um, there's at least 20 other things planted in there, all kinds of medicinal herbs, tomatoes, um, eggplant, peas, um, beans, all sorts of great things. Uh, so 
the first month there was absolute there was mist. That's the only thing that happened there. And there there was one day in the second month where it rained for about forty five minutes and we had to come out of the fields. Uh, and maybe once a week we got some mist. So I was absolutely shocked when plants started coming up even before that forty five minute rain. So Everything I understand, I mean, there was not one inch of rain during the whole four-month season um, that this was happening. Um, and I did use this Jeevan Reet, and I drenched. I used um, watering cans, buckets, whatever, to pour this Jeevan Reet all over this basically five acres of plants. Um, I had two um, Indian women helping me. Um, so anyway, the results were that we had an amazing crop. Um, when I dug down about a month later, there was about two inches of black, friable topsoil. Um, and uh, everything grew beautifully. Um, so uh, I was absolutely amazed at that. Um, I, I'd been gardening for 50 years, and I'd never realized um, that that could happen. So that was very life-changing for me. Um, and then as I went, of course, part of being in India is um, that 75% uh, of the people there grow without irrigation. So I could see these not exactly that miraculous a result. Uh, because they do give up mainly in a when they have a miss monsoon, um, but I saw at, that it's just a way of life there in India to grow without um, fertilizer or irrigation. Um, so the only fertilizer to these five acres was this jivamrit, and it it was um, min minuscule as far as I mean. So you understand what I mean when I say it's microbes. So that's what Jeevan Reed is growing. It's a fermented material, um, and it's growing microbes. But the actual NPK in that is uh, very minor. Um, and then that brings up how microbes work to, and they work with their plant partners. Um, they they have this. Um, symbiotic relationship where the plants give them carbon and they give the plants minerals. Um, so anyway, that's that. So Charlotte, would you do this yeah. for me? You, you used a word there that I've got to say it's foreign to me, so it might be to the rest of our audience. Shibanrit. So explain that. I know you're, you're talking about a microbe, but that that didn't mean anything. Maybe maybe just describe a little bit more what you mean by that. Okay, I'm basically talking about a microbe tea, and okay. you don't need to know the name of it, but it's a mixture from cow dung, and okay. um, cow urine, and um, a legume flour and molasses that's fermented for three days. Okay. And so that's mixed, they can, what kind of what? so mixed in what kind of a way? Did you mix it up in 
in uh, large containers, mix it by hand? How does that all get mixed? Yeah, we just, um, yeah, we definitely fermented it, not um, bubbled it. So that's the other way to make a microbe tea is to bubble it. Uh, and this is the traditional way that they have in India and at least in Korea. Um, they just ferment it. So we put, um, I believe it's one kg of cow dung, one kg of cow urine, just small amounts, uh, maybe one kg of um, molasses, and about a liter of um, legume flour. And, yeah. And how long would it take to do get to go through the fermentation process? So once you mix that all together, how long was the the fermentation before it was ready to be applied to the field? Three days. Three days. And you stir it twice a day for a couple of minutes. Okay. And we put it in a 300-gallon barrel. Okay. And then we took that barrel and spread it. We had barrels sitting all around the fields. And um, we would dilute it about 10 to 1 and then take these buckets and drench it onto the plants. Um, and drenching is when you have a watering can. So we were just um, um, putting on uh, very small amounts of water. Definitely not what I would think would cause the plants to, um, the seeds to start. Um, but anyway, it did. <laughs> the seeds all started. Okay. And, and, and you just stated it too. You did it, you did it while the, the seeds had not yet germinated. So um, it, was, it was applied soon after seeding, is that correct? Yes, and it was applied every 10 days through the season. Okay, got it. And All right. when well. I was in Eugene, I never used it that often, but since I was concerned about water, I did it um, every 10 days. Okay. All right, well, I think that explains it. And so unless the audience has other questions about that, why don't you, why don't you go on and... and Continue because this is exciting. We're very, and, and had you done <laughs> okay, had you slide. done this kind of had you done this kind of thing, or did you learn the specifics of the technique? Was this something that the Indians were doing already, or was this something you brought with you to to be able to to do there? Um, I had been using microbe teas um, since the late nineties. But I did read in some book by a guy named Subhash Palakar about this specific Jeevamrit process. Um, and at this point, I need to talk about how, how I do things, because you're kind of saying, how do you go to a foreign country and be successful <laughs> on your first attempt? I mean, everybody says, nobody can do that. <laughs> and this is the the whole basis of what I'm trying to teach, which is Toby Hemingway has a, um, 
uh, video that he calls uh, Why Agriculture Can Never Be Sustainable. And, uh, and he's talking about this, the current system that we have, which I say is a Western system. This is not what they're doing in the East. Toby didn't say that. He didn't recognize that the other paradigm that he talks about, which can be successful, is a horticulture paradigm. And to me, the essence of the horticulture paradigm is we are not on top of nature looking at what we want it to do. We're working inside. We're living in the ecosystem, listening to what it wants. And I'm serving it, and it's serving me. We're all in this together. And amazing things happen. Um, so um, what were you saying? What was the question? Oh, yeah. So oh, where did I, I learn That's where I learned it, from listening to the plants. You, you described it. So good. So I interrupted you. So I think you were going to move on to the, to the next slide. So go ahead. OK. Next slide. Um, so this is a slide, and I want everybody to know that um, I think Arib is going to put on my website. But these are all from the research resource page on my website. And this is um, a slide that's related to a specific video which is a very good explanation of why you don't need fertilizer when you have good microbes. Um, and so that's all I wanted to say. That slide is there. It's a very, very powerful thing. And the other thing I do need to, to say is not only do you not need fertilizer, but when you add fertilizer, whether it's chemically chemical or organic fertilizer, you're depriving the plants and the microbes of the jobs that they have, and therefore um, getting less than what you would get if you didn't deprive them of their job. Um, I was about 30 when I lived in a, micro, in a macrobiotic community in Boston. And one of the things we learned from our teachers was that if we were to use supplements, that we're taking away our body's um, ability to do what it needs to do. Uh, so that we would rather use exercise, we'd rather use a positive attitude, than give ourselves um, supplements. And that's the same with the soil. By, um, by fertilizing in any way, we're taking away the job of the plants. And we're basically telling them they don't know um, their job. Um, so that's pretty amazing. OK, yeah, next yeah. slide. So I think Mark, Mark's, showing, Mark's been showing a little bit of your website. So I think he's going to move to the next slide here in just a second. OK, yeah. This is supposed to be a food forest on my website. Mark, are you going to go? Is this are, the, are these the next slides, Mark? Is this is this the right order? 
Yeah, that, that's the next yes. slide. Yeah, so that, that soil food web is on that same slide about the fertilizer. And um, anyway, so we can go to the next slide. Mark, go ahead. And it is the same for one. Yeah. Okay, so when I got back to the United States, I finally came back because, um, like I said, at that point, maybe I was only 71. But it was incredibly difficult for me to be there in India. Um, they have all these rules. Um, uh, managers are not supposed to, managers or consultants or Westerners, really, are not supposed to work on the land. And so they want, they only wanted me to work on the land when nobody could see me. <laughs> and, and of course, I have to work on the land because physically, I feel like I'll deteriorate if I don't have exercise. And that's my main form of exercise. Anyway, so I left India. I was uh, really feeling like uh, I probably tried uh, uh, six different farms where I could do um, demonstration farms. And things would go wrong at all of them. Um, and, it, and it was very hard on me. So I ended up coming home. And one of the first things that I saw was this Gabe Brown video. And it's an amazing video. Um, and basically, he's discovered everything right in North Dakota that I discovered by going to India. <laughs> you could, with 8 to 15 inches of water a year, have wonderful vegetables, anything you wanted, um, successfully. And he's doing it with, uh, so he doesn't make um, microbe teas. He just has the cows walk around on his land. <laughs> in the Alan Savory um, tradition. Um, and and so, um, so I went, wow, I didn't even need to go to India to learn this. <laughs> so anyway, um, next slide. So I'm also saying, Mark, oh yeah, OK. And so I've already touched on this. Um, this is, um, but I do want to touch on the deeper part of that. Um, in this country, and, what, and I saw the same thing in India. They have these people that they call educated people. And of course, most of the people that are educated really value their college education and their way of being able to speak English and being able to relate to the whole educated world. Um, but in fact, I feel like India has uh, what Toby Hemingway calls a horticulture um, background. They have, um, they have superimposed onto this uh, way of living in their ecosystem. Um, like the British colonials and, you know, all this education. But underlying all that is a, an amazing connection to their environment. Um, 
in the trains that I was on in the beginning, I went on the second class trains and the sleeper class trains so that I could be around the people and learn because I thought all the agriculture people would be in those trains. But as time went on and traveling was more difficult for me, I went on first class trains even. Every single person on that first class train, like I'd pass this and I'd say, why are they growing like that? And they'd tell me, what, what is this smell? <laughs> and they'd know. I mean, it, it was, um, so it is an agriculture culture. Um, they, and one of the things that Toby Hemingway talks about is you can't pay people in that culture to do what you want them to do. You, if even an agriculture laborer, you're paying them to be who they are, to bring their whole knowledge to this situation, and they don't do what you tell them, <laughs> which was very frustrating for me, <laughs> but I really get it in, um, in retrospect what was happening. Until they understand it, they do what they've always done. Um, Anyway, so this, uh, to me, um, is highly valuable. The idea that you have your connection with your, uh, with nature, and you live from that. Um, and the the downside of that here is most of permaculture people, and that's partly because of the PDC. Most of permaculture people are learning from their heads. And they're trying to apply their minds instead of going directly to nature. Um, so that's in our way. And I, I'm really trying to figure out. Now, anybody has any ideas? I'd love to hear them. How to get from here to there? Um, because it isn't. You can't take these techniques and just apply them. You have to work with your environment. Uh, anyway, all right, next slide. <laughs> and you can, uh, okay, this was my attempt. This is um, a video called Hybrid And this person is a his name is Art Pesheen, and he's a neurologist, and he's talking how our brain works. And one of the things that really gripped me about this is he says most of the problems in our culture is we've been trained to work from our, I forget what he calls it, but it's like our brains. And, um, and our brains are actually very slow moving and analytical. And they have to understand the situation. Whereas we have another part of us, which is our intuition, which resides, he says, in the limbic system. Um, and that part of us is able to make decisions quickly, is able to understand what nature is trying to tell us and, and act on it, um, is able to perceive feedback immediately, and have amazing um, creative solutions for what we're seeing. Um, 
So anyway, these and and what I what's really important to me is is that people. Um, I don't know how to say this. People seem heavily anxious, and they seem uh, not happy and spontaneous. And um, anyway, so I'd like to see a whole lot more of this um, application of intuition. Um, and then he's also talking about um, systems theory. He's talking talking about um, self-organizing and how we can work together to co-create, which ultimately means being out of that analytical framework. I mean, it's not that we're out of it, but that it's a good servant and a bad master. Um, anyway, all right. So clearly I'm going to get a question on this, right? <laughs> Yeah, you're going to get some. I know Aaron's already started to look to ask some, but let's uh, let's let's keep going. I've got some questions also. So. Okay. So next slide. This is an amazing video. Um, this guy started out. I think it was in 1968. Well, I'm not sure. Anyway maybe 20 years ago, um, with 1,200 acres. Um, and it's agroforestry, or I call this whole system agroecology. Um, and so this is a beautiful video to watch. Um, it's very exciting to me because it's very broad scale. And he hasn't compromised. And he's definitely talking about work from the inside of the ecosystem and working um, so that's the other part of it um, I call it the community of all beings when I'm working in the in, in the inside the ecosystem the plants evolve to meet the needs of the system as we are creating it the microbes evolve and microbes only live a day or two so we can have quick evolutions there to meet the needs of the system. Um, any, so it's an amazing vision of how life works. It isn't my problem to solve. Um, it's, it's the whole ecosystem that solves these problems and lives together. All right. Next slide. Before we go on, this video, is it called Life in Centropy? So if we yes. all want to look for it. Okay. Well, if you go to my resources page, every single one of these is available. Okay. It's all there. You can just click from my resources page, and it'll take you to those links. Good, good. Thank you. And this pawn, uh, Elizabeth Kaiser, yeah. Charlotte, uh, as you're like going through the slides, I have been sharing these links with the audience too. So you can just go through them and I will be sharing the links for the videos, okay? Okay, great. Uh, Paul and Elizabeth Kaiser, 
have a farm in Sebastopol, California, and they're making $100,000 an acre on three acres um, with no-till, with microbes, um, with compost. They're doing it with compost. Um, and they're talking about this as a solution for um, uh, CO2 drawdown. And anyway, so they're great folks to learn about. Next slide. Um, so I started with microbes back in about 1995, um, long before I heard about Elaine Ingham. Um, but I was very, very happy because so many people in permaculture really want something more than I did this and it worked. <laughs> so I'm really happy. Um, this Roots of Your Profits is an amazing overview. Most videos I have trouble with because they're too slow for me. Um, I'd rather just see the writing and go to where I want. But this video is so jam-packed, I highly recommend it. And then the next video is also an Elaine Ingham video. Um, next slide. And it is, I think, maybe not. Um, <laughs> and that's a picture of me. Um, but this next video sh shows why with these microbes, if you have a fungal-based soil biology, you will have very few weeds. Um, and everybody for the last 10 years have, has been talking to me about weeds, weeds, weeds. And I'm just like, I don't get it. I just don't have that many weeds. But I didn't realize that the fungal-based um, biology that I'm doing is causing. Um, anyway, so I'm in the U.S. I'm definitely using. Um, I use from uh, fungi perfecti from false tamets. Um, what do they call it? Well, anyway, it's a uh, fungal product um, that I put on uh, the soil. Um, and apparently, the weeds are. Uh, uh, <clears throat> coming from a bacteria-based soil, which is the beginning of the succession process. And apparently, a half-fungal, half-bacteria soil um, is where you want your vegetables. Um, and then, of course, uh, <sighs> however, um, Elaine Ingham does talk about consciously changing um, your soil microbes to meet, um, you know, to meet your needs. I like the idea better of that the uh, the partners, the microbe, the microbe, the microbes work with the plants and give them exactly what we what they need. So if you have apple trees, they'll give the apple trees what they need. If you have uh, vegetables, they'll give them what they need. Anyway, that works better for me than trying to use a microscope and figure out. Um, I believe what I'm doing with these microbes is, what is the word? Um, uh, 
Anyway, I'm just introducing something that catalyzes a, a system change that brings me into the picture, me and my needs into the picture. I don't think I'm changing the biology to be exactly what I think it ought to be. Anyway, again, that's my idea of how I'm working with the ecosystem. All right, next slide. Um, now, this is the other really big piece. This is um, Christine Jones, and she is coming right out. I'm not sure Elaine Ingham says this, but she's talking about nutrient-dense foods. And the way our, and she's talking about cancer and diabetes and all of these things being caused by our soil not having its microbe partners. Um, and that is, uh, that's one of the things I believe, and so I was so happy to have some fancy scientists saying that. <laughs> Um, and because of that, I'm actually, I've had some thyroid problems, and I'm actually eating a lot of wild food, because it's a candle food, and I've been having some system waste, and getting my orders, and then the lion, and stingles, so that I can have my health. Um, anyway, all right, next slide. We're almost to the end. Um, so this is a picture of soil aggregates. This is what happens when you have a fungal-based um, soil, and it's uh, crumbly soil. I have been uh, in at least 30 gardens, including Paul and Elizabeth uh, Kaiser, where they've added tons of compost, and they do not have soil aggregates. Um, it, it's, uh, anyway, it's like sand, the soil, I guess it would be loam, but anyway, it just doesn't have these aggregates. So if your soil has this, you're doing good. You'll be able to get off water and off fertilizer um, in, in fairly good time. Um, if your soil doesn't have this, um, you're in trouble. Okay, next slide. Um, and this is somebody that I just uh, found out about today. Um, he's David Johnson. He's been growing in New Mexico, and he's a scientist. I think he's a microbiologist. Um, so he's he talks about why, um, in fact, what he says that's amazing is that if we did 20% of our agriculture in this way, we would um, remove the CO2 from everything we produce this year with 20%. So obviously, if we could get up to 50, we could get, make significant carbon draw, drawdown. Um, he's a great presenter. Again, it's absolutely loaded with great facts. Um, and that's the end. That was awesome in terms of resources for all of us. Um, uh, that soil, Mark, go back one slide to the slide right before this one. Just have to make a comment about the look of that. Um, so, Charlotte, 
we raise a bunch of different kinds of livestock, including alpacas. If you look at that slide from a distance, it looks like a, a soft alpaca fleece that you have in your hand because it's it's powdery, it's, it's billowy, and you, you called it um, uh, real early in the presentation, you called it, uh, oh, I can't think of the word right now that you used. Friable? Friable. You called it friable. That's correct. And that's, that's a word that um, I know from the asbestos industry, but friable, if everybody knows, is something that it'll break apart in your fingers uh, very easily. That just looks beautiful. That's a very, very healthy looking soil. Um, Everybody out there in the audience, if you didn't get some questions from what what uh, Charlotte's been saying here, you haven't been listening. So please put in some. I'm going to keep asking her some. We've got quite a little bit of time here left, about 15 minutes. So I know some of you guys are going to have some questions. I tried to spell some of what you said. Go back to the the give Marit. Is it is it spelled just like it sounds? Several people asked that. Yeah. So. G-I-V-U-M-R-E-I-T, and I think they put a U-M on it sometimes. Givamritam. But like here in the United States, what I'm using is I'm either making it from basically the Korean natural farming um, methods, or I'm buying, um, like I said, from Paul Stamets, um, and I also buy EM um, when I'm, you know, just in a new place and not got my stuff together. Um, so what they call it in the Korean system is IMOs, indigenous microorganisms. Okay. So you take your local microorganisms and you um, um, magnify them. I was typing. Say it again. In the Korean, they call it IMOs, correct? So yes. That that stands for again. Put it in so I can type it in here. That stands for um, indigenous microorganisms. Indigenous microorganisms. Cool. So how would you suggest that we change? People who care. I think everybody that's in this webinar cares, and they wouldn't be here as guests, and you're going to have a lot of people who are going to watch the replay that will care of it also. And, and most of them, and including me, I'm pointing fingers at myself, have been taught very scientific methods, those of us who are um, steeped in science. But we, I certainly understand the intuition side that you described. I certainly understand microbes um, in a very sound way. But I think I try to think a lot more logically and not as intuitive at times. How, how do you suggest that, that people learn that and that we begin to teach it more? I actually was talking to um, a good friend of mine, and she says most of the people that have my orientation played outside as children and li pretty much lived outside. And so that's one of the things I would recommend, that people spend an hour um, just in free flow with a tree or walking. Or um, with me, it's been wonderful to work with my garden this way. 
Um, but not always. I can remember telling people, I would wake up in the morning and think, okay, I'm going to go do this in the garden. That's, you know, the Western way to wake up. You plan your day. <laughs> and then I'd get to the garden, and the plants would say, we want you to do this. And so for about an hour, I would fight, and I'd say, no, I want to do this. <laughs> and But by the end of the hour, I would say, wait a minute. They know, and I don't. And so the rest of the day, I would do what they want. And I would start to notice that the things that I had thought that were important, like weeding, um, weren't so necessary when I did it their way. Um, so um, again, just being with your plants, trying to go into that soft space where you're not, where you're listening, how to say, um, yes. And actually, I've done workshops on, I used to be a chiropractor, and I used to work with people's health. And um, and the, the best thing for somebody to get healthy is to start listening to what your body needs. And so we'd ask them, you know, to start listening. And in the beginning, you think you're crazy when you hear these things that you need. But as you start listening more, it becomes obvious that, in fact, that is really what you need. Um, so you start to be discriminatory about what your mind says and what your intuition says. Um, and that's a process that everybody can have access to. <laughs> that's very cool. Um, and as you move to a new location like you've done now, what's the first what what's the first sort of thing you do when you go into a new garden new garden area, and you're you're trying to see how you're gonna how you're gonna manage it during the year? What what do you look for? What do you what do you smell? What do you see? What do you hear? What, 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 what do you kind of, you just said, you let the plants talk to you. I think that's foreign to some people. So um, just, just walk us through a little bit of how you would do that. Well, I'll actually tell you my method, which isn't, wouldn't be my favorite method, but um, I was raised by a very linear father, and um, I was a very good student. <laughs> And so, um, so what I do is I walk around in the garden. I, um, uh, when I was studying permaculture, I actually was really surprised when I went. I, um, one of my permaculture teachers took me along on his consultations. And he would go in, and five minutes after being there, he'd say, well, you need to put your greenhouse here. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I just go, wow! <laughs> I can't do anything like that. I go in, and I do. I think of normal things. I dig around in the soil. I see what the soil looks like. And it takes a couple of days and sometimes even a couple of weeks to start seeing or feeling the bigger picture. Um, so um, anyway, does that make sense? Um, yeah, it does. I do. Kate just made it. Oh, go ahead. Well, another thing that seems to motivate me, when I did the Victory Gardens, I would have between 4 and 12 people working with me. That, I would be amazing that, um, in that video about the hybrids. 
uh, um, because that makes my intuition work very well. Having people that need a solution now, and I just invent it, and and mostly they work. Um, <laughs> anyhow, so that's what actually started happening here. Um, the person whose garden it, it is would come out, and they bring a friend or two, and we need to get um, like you know a hundred feet by a hundred feet in production. Uh, within the next couple of days, and so I just started coming up with ways to do it. Um, so, and that's what I see. It's more of a hybrid thinking than a total, like what they would do in India, a total horticulture way. Am I making sense? Um, yes, you are. So Aaron's got uh, a question here. Aaron has a question here for you, um, and I, I would have this, a similar one because I wasn't following it as well. He says, what's EM, and, and then what did you say you got from Paul Stamets? What, what was, so first, what's EM is his first question. Okay. It's effective microorganisms. Okay. And I get it from a place called Terraganics. Um, and that should be on my resource anyway. I'll put that on my resources. Tear T E R A G A N I X. Um, and if you just Google effective microorganisms, they'll come up. And from okay. Paul Stamets, I get something called Myco Grow. Um, my Myco Grow. M I C O Grow. Correct. Yeah, and and that man. Uh, anyway, I was just fortunate to hear him speak at the uh, Northwest Permaculture Convergence. He is a total, as Toby Hemingway calls, um, horticulture, whatever. He's not. He <laughs> he goes out to the end of the galaxy to find. I mean, you know, he just follows these bees and looks at what they're doing and. And comes up with what they're doing. I mean, he's just got an amazing brain. Um, but anyway, and then of course he's also got the hybrid qualities because he can turn around and line those up and organize them. Um, All right. Any other questions? Kate made a comment, not a question, but uh, Kate's one of our regulars. And she always has some great insight. She says, very refreshing. Thank you. I found that lack of money and lots of time due to ill health, she's talking about herself, has also made me use my intuition and listen. Yes, and I definitely feel that when I was on this 25 acres by myself and not doing well, um, and I just had to learn to sit there and let those plants tell me what was needed and give me the energy to do it. So, yes, you're right, Kate. It, um, it really helps to have time and, and, like I said, to take yourself out of the go-ahead gear, whether you do it by decision or if life does it to you. Um, and that reminds me of my experience of being in India. I heard lately there's these things 
that in your life are called interruptions. And ill health, of course, is an interruption. But for me, the experience in India was an interruption because I went from thinking I knew what I was doing to absolutely knowing that I didn't know what I was doing, that there was so much more um, that was available to me and was needed. So, yeah, I don't think we talked about that too much, but I'm, yeah, I'm starting this initiative, and that was the piece that I left out, this initiative to grow food. We have apparently 40 million acres about of lawns, um, 300 million acres of commercial agriculture, 600 million acres of, of pastures, and I'm starting this initiative to get these methods happening in all of those places, as well as in the forests, which, um, according to me, a lot of our drought problems are from um, the microbes in the forests having been seriously depleted by such things as um, acid rain, chemicals, um, radiation, and we need to um, put microbes on there. And, and, um, and I want to say again, I was feeling, um, anyway, so microbes to me, uh, I actually wrote someplace about, I was feeling that I was cheating the land that I was on somehow by only applying microbes and not applying herbs and not applying other things um, coming from my microbiome, from my uh, biodynamic background, there's a lot more things that you can do to influence um, the land um, and much more elegantly than applying microbes. But one of my Indian friends wrote back and said, actually, since the microbes evolve so quickly, <laughs> that that is the best thing you could do to be in a working relationship with your um, soils or, or your ecosystem. And that's certainly how I've been acting, but I didn't have the understanding of why that was so. Um, sure. And I don't know, does everybody know about the Lynn Margolis and how she came up with all of our cells, every single one of our cells has mitochondria, and that's actually bacteria that our bodies, um, whatever the word is, brought into them um, as a, a, a working partner. Um, and so, anyway, that's just it, very profound, according to me, that we have these um, syntropy relationships happening. Uh, with our soils, with our own bodies, with our own microbiome. So, Wayne, you ran away. No, yeah, I, um, my connection is going in and out at times. I'm, I'm, my audio is just fine, so I'm hearing everything. Um, okay. I'm in a hotel room, and you never know what the Internet's going to be like. That's why I called in on my phone. But we're actually at the top of the hour. We like to be pretty respectful to everybody. You guys... The whole audience, you've been here and, and asking some great questions. Kate was awesome. Excuse me, Charlotte was awesome. I was thinking about Kate Armstrong there for a second, who did a, 
a, an amazing weed walk out of my foraging walk out of my farm over the weekend. Um, but and you would enjoy her, uh, Charlotte. You would you would like Kate, and she would like you. Um, thank you. We really appreciate it. The replay of this will be up sometime a little bit later in the week. Um, any other comments or thoughts you have, Kate, to end things up before we sort of stop the webinar for the night? Oh, did you ask me? You said Kate. I said Kate again. I met Charlotte. I apologize. I said that twice. <laughs> do, you, do you have any final thoughts, Charlotte? I'm sorry. I was no, Kate and you it. mixed in my brain. All right. Well, yes. again, everybody, Mark, thank you. Areev, thank you for all your work. And I think you enjoyed this. You enjoyed putting this together. Um, and yes. I'd love, I'll talk to you another time, Charlotte, more about your Indian experience because it turns out we've got lots of people in our group that, that are very interested in trying to help. India right now is the fastest growing country in the world. It's growing faster than China. Um, the food shortages there are dramatic in many places, but yet in some areas, maybe like where you were at, they're doing some really good job with, with their farming, but it's very institutionalized, like you said. So anyway, thanks everybody. I'm going to stop the report, excuse me, and we'll end the webinar. Good night and good afternoon and good morning for all over the world. Hey everybody, I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT Community Podcast.